Welcome to the Artelligence Podcast. I'm Marion Manneker, and we're going to explore the mysteries of the global art market. A few days after it was announced that Catherine Opie would be joining Lehman Maupin Gallery, I sat down with Rachel Lehman and David Maupin. Our conversation ranged from the upcoming Freeze Art Fair to what it takes to run a global art business in the 21st century. You want to talk about Cassie Opie because she's the heart of what we're doing, basically managing artists' careers. Yeah, I think that I think. Well, first of all, I'd like to say that um, we're excited about Freeze Art Fair because we're also going to be showing new work of Nicholas Schlobo, who has also recently joined the gallery. Um, we've had work of Karo Atia before in our booths, and we've had a show at our gallery in Chelsea. However, uh, the three of them will be a strong presence um, on the stand uh, next week. And I think that um, what's really interesting about having an affair in New York when we have the galleries in New York, both of the galleries in New York, is that um, Lehman Maupin Gallery is able to really, uh, really work with our program and show more of our program, kind of go more into depth uh, with the artists uh, that we work with and maybe show more of their work and honestly take a little bit more of a risk because uh, we are here in New York and um, you know, it's, it's much more, everything's more natural and easier. There's a comfort level. I think there is, yeah, there is. It's, I don't think it's a comfort level, but it is, um, it is a practical level that uh, you are on the spot. And then you'll do things you might not do in, in a fair which is very far away. So again, uh, certain works that we will be showing are maybe very big, very bulky. Uh, and I came from Miami yesterday back. I was complimented by a collectors of the gallery and he's saying, you know, actually, Freeze and the Armory always looks the same, but you guys, you always make an effort to do an installation. So yes, we take advantage of a fair like Freeze to be less practical and to be more outrageous and to do things we won't do somewhere else. But you also have the luxury, I assume, of being able to bring people back to one of your New York galleries as right. well. Right. No, that absolutely. And this year we're we're also we have a something else really important happening. So um, you know, uh, we Lehman Walker represents Teresita Fernandez also and she is uh, has a major installation in Madison Square Park. It as we speak, so what today is the fifth of May, so it is I think about seventy percent installed. The official opening is the first of June, um, in Madison Square Park. But we'll also have work of hers, a major piece of hers, on the stand free. So we'll be able to tie together kind of an outdoor installation in Madison Square Park, the the booth, the two galleries. Um, so we have a lot to this year, a lot to talk about and you know a lot of really good art to see and and for the collectors who you're either meeting at freeze or just you normally interact with is that sort of uh flooding the zone for lack of a better term uh something that 
gives them a better sense of the gallery's program or just of your commitment to an artist or of, of the breadth of what an artist is doing? I think it's all of it. Yeah. Because uh, connecting the dots to something like uh, Teresita Fernandez, who is in the park, in Madison Square Park, is connecting it with the longevity, seriousness, uh, age, let's talk again about age, age of the gallery, commitment of the gallery, connecting it, showcasing a group of three newer artists in the gallery, is making people understand how we see the problem grow, why does Teresita Fernandez, to take her as an example, connect to Cassiope? There is a huge connection there, formalism, uh, light, uh, how does Nicolas Lobo connect to, uh, to somebody like um, Cataratia, identity, race, uh, roots, uh, countries. So the, we are trying to do all of that and we are connecting to the gallery. Let's not forget that we have a major new installation by Tony Ursler in this gallery, you might have seen it, mm -hmm. and we have it in, in the fair. So we are basically doing all of it. Talking, basically focusing, giving a larger focus to the viewer, making him understand in depth what we're doing, making, creating also a vision of how it all belongs together and also being able to provide uh, with time the understanding why we've been successful. We've built the curatorial success, we've built market success and that goes again back to the years that Lehman Mopping has been uh, in business, commitment, uh, work and belief in artists. So I think we are covering all the points there. I also wanted to ask about the genealogy. You were just talking about the connections between the artists. And I presume one of the ways you begin to work with artists is through work that you've done with the current artists, right? So they, their relationships begin to intersect uh, with your relationships and they feel a comfort level in wanting to come work with you. They see something that uh, a friend or a colleague has achieved with you and say, hey, I'd like to be treated that way or I, they, they can help me achieve. I, I would start differently. I would look at the vision of the gallery, right? And uh, the vision of the gallery was always internationalism, working with artists from all over the world. We showcased uh, Korea uh, almost 20 years ago when nobody knew where Korea is, basically. Uh, so we, what, what we are doing is trying to constantly evolve and refine the mission of the gallery. What is Lehman Mopping about, right? Then, Obviously, this is only part than showcasing artists for the first time in New York. We have done it very, very often. We have done it with Tracy Emman. We did it with Karatia. We will do it with Nikola Shlova. That's also the mission of the gallery. So that's also covered. But then we, yes, then we come to where you, you pointed to, 
understanding where those connections can be found and how can we emphasize more that picture and how we connect it more to what Lehman Maupin does. So you mentioned internationalism, which I think is one of the things that's very distinctive uh, about you. But it's almost as if the world sort of come in your direction. Uh, well, today. Right, because the, the art market is very... You know, yes and no. I, it's funny because um, I think there's, there's a larger comfort level uh, with working um, internationally, globally. Um, but, you know, I, I get the question quite often now, um, why do we open a gallery in Hong Kong? And um, how often do I go there? Uh, you know, honestly, um, Hong Kong is a great base for us. Uh, the, you know, change in time, the 12 hour time difference is, it's very, um, it is challenging business wise. Um, it's challenging also to keep in touch with your artist. Um, having a permanent base there and able, being able to do business in real time and having a staff that's able to do business in real time is a huge help to us at Lehman Maupin, you know, here in New York. And, and also it's a huge help to, to our Hong Kong gallery that, that we're here, you know, because so much of what we do is, you know, about um, uh, global business. And, you know, but I still think there is kind of a, a, a disconnect. People still think it's very far away and, you know, they're, they're, they ask themselves, you know, well, why are you doing that? it about um, and it somehow isn't real still in um, I think the minds that there is kind of a you know fully functioning there's art worlds in um, uh, Singapore in Australia uh, Indonesia China, not to mention China Indonesia Korea of course Japan um, and then you know going even to you know going to India other parts of Asia also so. No, and, and increasingly there will be uh, uh, even more of these nodes of people who collect and buy. Uh, but I guess and museums, yeah, you know, of course, important museums. And um, I think that artists are always seeking audience. They would love to be part of this discussion all over the world. And um, there's also great artists, you know. But originally you were bringing many artists from around the world to. New York, as it were, and whether your buyers were here in New York or came through New York, because that was the place to, to do it. it now, the, the, the shift in the art world is it, going in both directions. There, there may be collectors, I'm assuming, yes. in, in one place and a, an artist in another, and there is just some a, a vector between one of these two points. Well, it's about collectors and museums, but it's also about the artist. You know, we have many artists that live. I, let's call it a region, you know, like, let, let's talk about it as Asia, not, not necessarily just China or Hong Kong. And we have, we have artists, you know, we have Ashley Bickerton that lives in Bali, we have, you know, Doho, so who's part-time in, in Seoul, part-time in London, um, Li Wool that's full-time in Seoul, uh, Lu Wei that's in, in um, Beijing. Um, there are relationships that, you know, that we have that, really need our attention in that part of the world. Um, so we're able to do that, you know. But I think you can't talk about all of it and it's not directly 
uh, an art market observation, but it has formed the art market and it's, uh, it wouldn't have happened, uh, the art market we're looking at today wouldn't have happened without it. It's a change of, in communication. Mm -hmm. uh, I think what we have been doing many, many years ago was it was without the internet in the beginning. Oh, absolutely. It, it was, yeah. you know, I remember making the first offer. Yeah, we were almost kind of in Chelsea when we were making the first offer on, uh, on an email, a real offer from an artist studio. So I think that is something. So the pace, the open markets, open information, uh, it has changed a lot in the world. It has helped change political structures, so it has changed the way you do business. Well, you also you represent some artists here uh, in New York who are represented by others in, in, of in London, and I'm assuming now those things that used to be fairly um, separate are beginning to blur, and yes. you're having people come across asking one yes. or the other of you. Of course, yeah, it's an open market. Uh, you will find uh, uh, Lehman Maupin having, uh, I don't know, Liu Wei in uh, New York, and then you will find probably his uh, Chinese gallery having Liu Wei in New York, and you might find White Cube having Liu Wei in New York. So those, this is blurred. So it's, it's, it's an open market today. So what's that like for the, the collector, the buyer who's coming in? Are they coming to you, uh, you know, for a combination of advice and guidance, or are they coming for you, uh, you know, for an object? You, you happen to have X in inventory that I'm looking for. So is it, is, is, or I'm assuming it's coming with both, but, but is, maybe I should ask the other way around. Which works better for you? Is it to develop this kind of, um, you know, guidance relationship, or just to be a vendor and move? Uh... You can't be just a vendor today if there is no trust, if there is not proof of seriousness. Not in the art market. You can be a dealer, but uh, who buys and sells, who doesn't deal really with, basically with with inventory coming from a primary market. Uh, and that's a different uh, part of the game, which we are much less uh, part of. We do it off and on, but the primary business of the gallery is work which are coming to us directly from the artist. That means that we have very strong relationships with our artists, and the collectors know it. Why do they know it? Because we've been around since a long time, and we are well known to be very trustworthy and very serious and very uh, thoughtful. So the artist comes first, but we treat the collector extremely well and respectful as well. So it goes both ways. You have to have fantastic relationship with the artist, get prime material, get as you call the right object. I would say, uh, get uh, the best of what the artist has, but you have also to have the trust and the ability to sell to a client, ones who know you and the ones who don't know you, who know you by reputation. And dealing in Asia a lot, 
Uh, this reputation thing is extremely valid. And in, in, you know, in the growing Western world, actually as it's growing so quickly and a lot of the information are blurred, what are new buyers looking for? They're also looking for reputation. They're also looking for the market. Of course they are, everybody is. But I'm saying that is also part of, of the game. We've got so many collectors now who are buying and then reselling. Yeah. And I imagine in your position, you're, you're thinking a lot about what's in your artist's best interest. Right. Their institutions is one side of it. Their, their collectors is another side of it. But then you didn't used to have to worry about this before, right? People would come to you and you, uh, if they wanted work, maybe older work, if you didn't have it in inventory, you'd say, I might be able to find it for you. Now you've got people who are actively... Uh, out there making a secondary market that many... Right. Uh, uh, I think that placement is still essential. And we work so hard and it takes us such a long time to place works with institutions, museums, the right trustees, uh, the right collectors. Uh, so your question, if I understand correctly, is how, that, how does this reflect into the secondary market. Right? Well, I mean, it's really, have you seen a, a change in the secondary mar market where you know, we, yeah. we now see many more things coming to auction uh, uh, fairly quickly where where you have to take that into account? Yes. Uh, and I'm, my, my question really is more how you take that into account and, and what, uh, if any, there are strategies you think of beyond the, you know, these are good institutions and these yeah. are good collectors. I think that's one strategy, of course. I think that you have to understand that time has shrunk, and that's why I'm going always back to time. Time is why we are here, why people are trusted, because we've been around for long. But at the same time, time has shrunk, meaning that uh, collectors like to see results very quickly. Uh, and when they see results, sometimes they resell the work very quickly. We're prepared for it. We are prepared to deal with the secondary mar market. We are prepared to place it again in the best possible homes. And we are very much aware that it's part of doing business. Uh, again, you'll ask me how do you deal with it? Are you thinking also in terms of competitive, uh, competitive marketplace with the auctions? Does that make it a question? Yeah, well, that's, a, that's the next question, I suppose. That's very simple. I can answer very well that question. I think we can do very often a better job than the auctions because we don't have to make everything happen in two minutes. And a lot uh, of the works are more challenging than a two-dimensional work you hang on the wall. And we have all the information. Who is asking for it? Who would be the person in which part of the world which would be best suited? And collectors know it. They come to us very often. And we have seen the contrary. We have seen collectors, us offering collectors to resell the work at a certain price, which was a very high price, and collectors thinking, you know what, if they can do so well, the auctions can do so much better, and they were wrong. And sometimes, you know what, they were right. 
but we prepared for it. We also try to protect the market by uh, working with collectors who seem to want to keep the work for longer periods of time. Uh, but it is okay if they come earlier and want to resell it. So we take advantage of both markets. Um, new collectors, do you, we were just talking about time uh, and it, the benefit of being around and, and having, but we see all these new people coming into the art market. Do you see that a lot of them come to you? Or? New collectors come a lot to us. Um, we have both again. We have a sales team. Um, we probably, David and myself, have, because we do many other things, we obviously are not doing only sales. Uh, so we, need, we tend to have people who come back to us on a high level, who work with us since a very long time. Sales team has all the time new collectors. Actually, I believe that, uh, if, I don't want to give you something wrong, but it's something between 40 and 50% uh, in every successful fair, and most of the fairs are successful. There's 40% of new collectors. So... Uh, Which is why you're doing the fairs as a way to... Right, and 60 or 50% of returning people that we know. So, uh, you're asking me if they're different? No, I'm curious, you know, we, we started talking about buyers versus collectors recently. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the interesting things about the art market is there are a lot of people coming in at the very top. There are people who are buying their first couple of pieces of art, they're not starting small, they're starting big. Um, and I, I imagine that's a, a bit of a challenge for a dealer who is very concerned about uh, their artists and their artist market in how do you best serve both sides of that? Who, who and what are these people looking for? Because I also assume one of the things you do as a gallery is not just have a stable of artists, but you also have a network of, of uh, buyers, collectors, who uh, you know what their interests are and you're helping everyone come together uh, that way. So I, I'm just trying to get a little sense of, of how the world is shifting since we're hearing so much about, just in the last two years, how quickly uh, things are changing uh, at this your level of the art world. I don't, I don't think you can have total control. You try, and you try to get a lot of information together, and you, ha you try also to understand regions and how they function. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that can give you a little bit of information. And I have to go back to what David said. There is such a misunderstanding in the West what the Chinese collectors are about, uh, because you can't obviously talk about collectors like collectors, the different levels of collectors. Uh, so uh, that's like saying, what do American collectors want? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Answer. So you can't control everything. You try to get information. You try for the best. Uh, you always try. If something is tricky, like if you have uh, if you have ten French collectors who are suddenly 
asking you for a leeway painting, which is happening, right? Uh, you, you know that there is a reason for it, right? Uh, and you try and do your homeworks and you know why it's why they're doing it. You, you're trying to get you're suspicious immediately and you're right. And then you, you so, so what's the reason? Because that there's an influential person who has been buying? Uh, and The reason might be that as China is rising and is this very, very big powerhouse, and some people say the first economy, some, some people say the second economy. I can't, you know, I'm not an economist. I can't give you the exact answer to it. People are trying to buy at retail something which is cheaper to the secondary market, which tells me they will resell it in the next two seconds. So we, we're being very careful. Uh, so knowing the person, knowing what the affiliations are, and knowing uh, where, who knows them, what, who can refer uh, to them or can can reassure us uh, is very important. It doesn't always happen. I'll tell you the truth. You're trying to do that. You're doing it, and sometimes you know you will have something come up in the secondary market, not back to us, but directly to the auction house. It doesn't happen a lot, but it does happen. We try to we try to protect the artist market. And we try uh, to avoid it. What about just on the level of, um, for lack of a better term, content? I mean, there's in selling artists from all across the world to collectors from all across the world. We're dealing with a, a you know a sort of cacophony of different ideas, uh, styles, periods, influences, all these things. Interest. Yeah, how do you help them navigate and put these pieces I mean, together? It's a, it's a, you mentioned the jigsaw puzzle. I imagine from a collector's point of view, it's got to be both the greatest time ever because there's so much available to you. For a collector? Yeah. I think it's horrible to be a collector today. I really, you know, I've been a collector since, uh, I want to say since the 70s, right? Uh, I think you really have to be focused today. You either are... A professional collector you do only that or you really have to get a lot of information together or you have a person who advises you it's very difficult there is a lot of information where do you start so you build a collection maybe with a certain focus it's very very difficult how are you gonna go and let's say you have a huge budget and you decide that you're gonna spend 30% of your budget on American art and 30% just taking it like that right 30% okay. of your budget on on European art 30% of your budget on Asian art and miscellaneous 10% uh, how are you gonna do that I think it's very with this information with so much uh, on the market and available you really need help you need to be guided by a gallery you trust you need to have a good art advisor or you need to have a lot of time and focus yourself and everybody and time is shrinking everybody's working more 
To be honest with you, I think that that is a big part of what's appealing about the auction houses to many people as a place to start, is just there's a lot of stuff from all over the place uh, right in front of you. And it, it's actually a very thin part of the art world, but it appears to be rich and varied and makes it somewhat easier than having to sort of feel your way around in the darkness. As but, so you are still saying that you, as a collector or the person, is walking into this auction house and they have a little bit from everywhere and they'll make up their mind like this and they'll know the house to spend their money? I, I actually don't agree. I, 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 I can't figure out how they're doing it, to be honest yeah, with you. Yeah, no, I think <laughs> it's narrowing it in a way down, becoming a specialist of what you're doing if you're doing it alone. Or it's again, you're going back to trust. Reputation, trust, uh, budget, advisors you can trust. It's, it's really difficult. How do you start? It, it's this, you know, best of times, worst of times situation. The, 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 our world is bigger than it's ever been before. Uh, everyone complains that all the best stuff is already taken or gotten too expensive, and yet there's, there's fantastic art almost everywhere you turn. Uh, and one of the great things we keep seeing is these, you know, people going out and finding overlooked artists and... Uh, exactly, know. which is partly what Lehman Maupin has been doing. Somebody like... Mary Course, whose show we're having now at the Chelsea Gallery on 22nd Street, 536 West 22nd Street, is one of those artists. And this is why it's successful, because she is, how old is she? She's roughly in, in, in her 70s. And yes, there are some overlooked artists there. So is Patrick van Kakenberg that we will be uh, showing uh, also at um, at Freeze New York, but also in the gallery in just after Basel, Switzerland. So is uh, the Sonia Gomez, who is in the Venice Biennial, who is also in her seventies. I think seventies is the golden age of human mopping in some way. There is, I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody else. Exactly, yeah. But again, an overlooked artist, if it doesn't have the right gallery behind, whatever, then you can buy something for decoration value, which there's nothing wrong with that. So, I mean, in a way, you need to reposition artists in the context, in the context of what we're doing and the context of the world today right to create this reference point but i think you, you will do the same thing for a young artist who just joins the gallery and obviously an older artist has a history behind so that history is important the curatorial but but the your the collectors are buying uh your judgment and as you, you said the, the time you've put in uh with partly people. but they're buying also the history which has judged an artist, museum shows, museum participation, biennials, it all counts, press, articles, publications, as you brought it up. I'm also very excited when um, you can show the artist in a different light and the audience can see an artist, um, a new aspect of their work, or uh, look at them, maybe, maybe they work also in film or photography, instead they're known for their paintings 
or maybe they've been doing sculpture for many years quietly. It's never been shown completely as a very important part of their work. I think as a gallery, it's, it's interesting to be an extension of the studio, um, of the artist's practice, and really be engaged with the artist in, in kind of building that exhibition because it's something that they can um, really kind of control and be involved in. And as uh, art fairs become important, as they, uh, I should say, as they have become already important, um, it's great to have this relationship with this close working relationship with the artist and to have this um, possibility to provide them with a space that they control and they feel very engaged with it. And it's not, you know, happening only for five days or four days or, or, or the sale doesn't happen in two minutes at the auction, you know. So, well, or you can create a counterpoint between what is at the fair booth for uh, uh, you know a couple of days and uh, a later event at the gallery that is larger and more in depth, or as you were just talking about with uh, Fernandez, the you know uh, uh, public work. Like Absolutely, that. yeah. I'm I'm very proud of the the shows that we have um, at the gallery. We work very hard, I think, and closely with the artist so that they um, are really uh, kind of, you know, providing the audience with something that's genuine that they feel very comfortable with, um, that they stand behind. Um, and I think that that's become even more important. I see it clearly as part of our mission. More important that they have a... A, a, a voice. A, a, and an environment a, a public they... voice that they can kind of control and um, inform, you know, they're, they're acting as artists and in, in conjunction with us, curator too. So that they can look forward to their next show as, as a sort of punctuation. This is, this is the time and place where I will have that. Uh... Yeah. We also provide two very different spaces, which stimulates the artists. Uh, and many of our artists have shown in, well, the 22nd Street is new, but fairly new for us. But earlier on, it was on 26th Street and in the Lower East Side, right, on Christie Street. So creating, being able to motivate artists and to, to get different bodies of work through, through motivation, adapted to the space is very important. Speaking of spaces, um, Hong Kong's a year or two old? Uh, two and a half years old. So, so two years old. Uh, it, does it stop there? Is there somewhere else you, you sort of look towards that you don't open a space next? I think we're really um, focused on uh, growing in New York and um, also expanding in Hong Kong, I'd like to um, do more programming, perhaps um, out where our gallery right now is in the Petter Building in Central, which is great. It's very, very, very central. Um, everyone is, you know, is very easy to get to. Um, I think it would be interesting to perhaps as M plus the museum opens and more things happen outside of, of Central to um, kind of uh, do something in larger kind of warehouse spaces somewhere in Hong Kong. I think that would be a logical 
So almost the, the appeal is to have more spaces rather than have spaces spread out over the globe. That being able to have two spaces in New York uh, or potentially two spaces in Hong Kong just gives you that versatility that you're talking about, uh, different places that the artist can uh, you know, try different things. For now this has worked well for us uh, and I think this is what we're going to continue, this formula. Um, uh, reinforcing where you are. Well, thank you for uh, the time. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate thank it very much. Thank you for listening to the Artelligence Podcast. Visit us at artmarketmonitor.com. 